early after has come to a close, but the morning after rolls on on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 for one final hour, bringing you up until noon Eastern time. Then Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Davis Maddock takes over after us. I am Ben Stevens, and we are now here in our third and final very happy hour of TMA. Joining us next, it is Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Again, a hugely impactful day in the college football landscape. The first ever CFP rankings of this season coming out tonight on this Tuesday evening. We get Connor's thoughts on what that might look like from the CFP selection committee and how he sees things playing out this weekend in the SEC. Then joining us to end out the show, it is Bill Krakenberger, a pro capper out in Las Vegas, one of the sharpest minds in this industry to discuss a little bit of NFL nearing the midway point of this NFL season entering week number nine. Speaking of week number nine and speaking of this day, Tuesday, November 2nd, it is officially NFL trade deadline day across the league. And we saw a blockbuster trade yesterday between the Los Angeles Rams in the Denver Broncos, the LA Rams getting Vaughn Miller, shipping out two 2022 second day draft picks, a second and third round pick for Vaughn Miller, who has four and a half sacks this year and seven total tackle for losses in his time with the Denver Broncos, now heading out to the West Coast in Los Angeles to play as a part of that very vaunted Rams defense now with Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Jalen Ramsey. It is a very, very good Rams team. And we saw movement in the marketplace based on that Vaughn Miller blockbuster trade yesterday. The Rams odds to win the NFC West getting shorter after the news of that trade going through on a Monday afternoon. They were plus 115 following a beat down of the Houston Texans on Sunday to win the NFC West. They are now even money at plus 100. The Arizona Cardinals still the favorites at minus 120, but 20 cents of movement working against Arizona because of the movement in the market on the LA Rams. The San Francisco 49ers still 38 to 1. The Seattle Seahawks 100 to 1 with the longest odds to win the NFC West as it stands right now. Oftentimes in the futures market, whether it's a make playoff board, a conference or divisional market, or even the Super Bowl, if there is movement positively for one team, there will be movement in a negative way against another team. It's almost like a piece of pie or a pie itself where if you take some pieces out there, you have to figure out how the other pieces fit in. So while the Rams odds became shorter from plus 115 yesterday to plus 100, even money this morning, the Cardinals odds also moving back against them a little bit from minus 140 to minus 120. We had the Rams with a live team win total at 12 and a half on the FanDuel Sportsbook, the over with heavy juice at minus 140. The Rams are seven and one this year. They are nearing that live team win total. Still playing a very difficult division. We also saw movement in the marketplace on the NFC Conference Championship board. The Rams were four to one prior to the Von Miller trade with the second shortest odds yesterday. They still have the second shortest odds, but they're plus 330, only 20 cents behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the reigning Super Bowl champs, and still the current favorites to win the NFC right now at plus 310. But 20 cents of movement against the Bucs from plus 290 to plus 310 as it currently stands. 70 cents of movement in the favor of LA from plus 400 to plus 330 right now. That might be even a stronger indication of what this team, what this Rams team looks like and their outlook looks like heading through the rest of this season as we welcome in our sports grid radio audience here the third and final hour of the morning after on this tuesday morning you're listening on sirius xm channel 204 the mightier 1090 out on the west coast this is our west coast wake up 
talking about the LA Rams and the blockbuster deal, sending Von Miller from Denver to LA in return for some draft picks. So the first time we might be able to see Von Miller on the field for the Rams comes on Sunday night football this upcoming week as the Rams host the Tennessee Titans. Huge blockbuster deal for the Rams yesterday. Disappointing news in a big way for the Tennessee Titans yesterday as well. Derrick Henry will miss a good portion, if not the remainder of this season, after breaking a bone in his foot and already electing to have surgery as he needed to do to get back onto the field. So the Titans right now getting seven and a half points on the road against the Rams who are laying more than a touchdown at home on Sunday night, where you look at where this line is as it currently stands. The over-under total is also up there for this game at 53 and a half. This line open in the Rams' favor at six points, already worked by a point and a half in LA's favor based on both the injury news to Derrick Henry and the Rams' news of bringing in Von Miller. That total down by a hook. Oftentimes, bookmakers will tell you a running back doesn't really affect the line's all that much. Maybe a hook, if at most. But Derrick Henry is not your average running back in the NFL. The two-time leading NFL rusher from the past two seasons and was leading the way already this year, averaging more than 117 yards per game. So that is why the line has already moved. The total also dropped by a hook. The Rams at 71.4%, hitting to the over this year, tied for the highest over percentage in the National Football League with the Dallas Cowboys. Tennessee, by the way, has won four straight. They have covered in four straight. And their last three straight covers have all come as an underdog. They are now more than a touchdown underdog on the road against the L.A. Rams. Tennessee 6-2 and two against the number all season long. The Rams just 4-4 four four ATS. They haven't covered in two straight games, but they were 16.5-point favorites in both of those games against the Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans, who backdoor covered the Rams this past Sunday. So that's where things stand on NFL trade deadline day in the National Football League and college football. It's a huge Tuesday as well. The CFP rankings for the first time released, and we preview the SEC Saturday slate with Connor O'Gara. Stay with us here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Tuesday on the morning after rolls on right here on the grid. Sirius XM channel 204 all across the sports grid network. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. We are now joined by Connor O'Gara on a huge Tuesday across the college football landscape. The first CFP rankings of the year are unveiled tonight. It is also Maction starting tonight. A happy holiday to all of you who observe and celebrate out there as well. And we look forward to the 10th week of this college football season with a Saturday slate with a lot of intrigue right now because after the CFP rankings come out, everything means that much more. And it always means more in the SEC with Connor O'Gara, a national football columnist for Saturday Down South, covering the SEC with the absolute best of them. Connor, as always, on this huge Tuesday in the college football realm, we appreciate your time. Appreciate you guys having me. As always, you know, I've been avoiding monkeys, which is good. I feel like I, I good, you know, was good. 
didn't get out there and do any trick-or-treating, but now I'm going to know in the future that if I do any trick-or-treating, I, I need to be aware of any household pets that may or may not bite and get loose. A lesson learned for everyone, I think, in all of this. I mean, I'll, if you don't know what Connor is talking about right now, I encourage you to go to the Twitter interwebs and just type in Monkey Gate and see what happens about a Texas assistant coach with an emotional support monkey for his girlfriend who might be into some other types of dancing. I'll leave it at that. One of the best tweets that I saw, Connor, was it was the kid's fault. Shouldn't have given the monkey the horns down. Great comedy <laughs> on Twitter right now all across the place. What also might look like a comedic act or maybe even murder this upcoming Saturday is Georgia against Missouri. Because right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, UGA is favored by 37 and a half points. Connor, on this graphic, you will see the header up there that says parental control. I think there should be parental control for people that might think kids should watch this game because I'm not so sure I would let my own kids, although I do not have any, watch Missouri in Georgia. Do you think it is going to be as landsided as I think it will be? Yes. They're daring you to take the points. Um, don't. Please don't because Mizzou's run defense is something sorry. I mean, like historically bad. They couldn't hold Vandy's rushing offense to under 250 rushing yards. Georgia's going to step on the field and rush for 400 yards. I mean, there's there's yeah. not really much of a debate about it. Mizzou has been so unbelievably bad defending the run. Steve Wilkes, his first and probably only year as Mizzou's defensive coordinator, has been a total disaster, the former Arizona, Arizona Cardinals coach. And Georgia's ground game should be able to get going. It's versatile. It's dynamic. There's, there's been all this talk about Stetson Bennett versus JT Daniels, who should be the starter moving forward. This week, it's not going to matter. I mean, Stetson Bennett might have to throw seven passes to win this football game. Todd Munkin's going to be able to dial up any sort of running play that he wants. This is going to get ugly. It's going to be lopsided. I think Georgia wins this game by 45 points. I don't think it's particularly close. And I feel bad for Mizzou fans that felt like they had something with Eli Drinkowitz in year two and are seeing just how bad a team can be when it has no chance of tackling the, run, the opposing running back and everybody in the, and their mother knows it. Missouri right now is the only winless team against the number in all of the FBS level of college football. Mizzou 0-8 against the spread this year. I know 37 and a half is a lot of points maybe for the Tigers to buck that trend. But I'm not sure I'm taking it this week. You know my favorite thing, Connor. Georgia opponent, team total unders, hitting a big way at the beverage convention in Jacksonville, Florida this past weekend. It's probably going to be another 10.5 or so for Missouri, estimating the line and the spread and the total right now. I don't know exactly how I feel about that, but maybe might dive back in on a Missouri under for this upcoming week. You did bring up a point, though, I wanted to ask you about. There's been a lot of conversation about Georgia's quarterback, JT Daniels, dealing with injury throughout a good majority of this year. He was a preseason Heisman favorite. We know we don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites, but all the reports out of Athens are that he is starting to look healthy. He is practicing more and more on a more frequent basis. Who do you believe gives Georgia the best shot of winning a national championship because that's the specter we're talking about at the quarterback position. I'll say this. If I'm Kirby Smart, I stick with Stetson Bennett. And, and I didn't think I would say that. If you had asked me a month ago, I would have laughed you out of the room. And now I think it's different because we're seeing Stetson Bennett actually execute this offense. 
exactly the way that you would hope JT Daniels would execute this offense. Now, is Stetson Bennett as talented of a quarterback as JT Daniels? No. Can he make all of the same exact throws that JT Daniels can? No. But with the spots that Todd Munkin has put him in, Stetson Bennett can still stretch the field. I mean, a guy came into the Florida game averaging over 12 yards per attempt. And it's worlds different than what he was doing last year. The passing game is efficient. You see the the types of throws that he can make to Kiaris Jackson, that dime that he had in the end zone late in the first half on Saturday against Florida. And you know what? I think with this defense, you can get away with that. It doesn't necessarily matter if they don't have an All-American at quarterback or if they don't have a Heisman Trophy candidate. This is very reminiscent, in my opinion, 2015 Alabama. 2015 Alabama has Jake Coker as the starter. Say what you will about Jay Coker. Uh, Lane Kiffin pulling some strings there. Uh, having Derrick Henry in the backfield. Those two things probably worked in Jay Coker's favor. I think this Georgia team can follow a similar path to 2015 Alabama. And I, I think this is a historically good defense we're looking at. And right now, if you're Georgia, you don't want to rock the boat. And Stetson Bennett has done what you've asked him to do. And until he has one of these just grenade games where everything blows up, I think that's the direction Kirby's going to continue to stay in. And I do think now that they can win a national championship with him as the quarterback. I agree. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that works for Stetson Bennett right now. Now, listen, I haven't been alive all that many years in the realm of college football history, and I haven't been paying that in-depth of attention for all that long of a time. But this Georgia defense is the best defense I've ever seen with these two eyes of my own. They have been that absolutely incredible and that dominant all year long. So Alabama this weekend also laying a really big number in a game that Maybe entering the year we had more hype for Alabama hosting LSU this weekend. The Tide, more than a four-touchdown favorite, laying 28-and-a-half at home. So I ask you a similar question, Connor. I often do when it comes to the big numbers we see on Georgia. Can Alabama cover this number of 28-and-a-half? I think so. And it sounds like I'm favorite heavy, but... I think we saw that LSU-Ole Miss game, what the flaws are with this Tigers team. They are so depleted on the back end that their secondary is just without options at this point. And I think Alabama with Bryce Young playing the position as well as anybody in college football right now is going to be able to pick apart that secondary. That's why that number is so high. It's really lopsided on that side of the ball. And LSU's been able to get the ground game going with Ty Davis-Price. He's probably their best chance to win this football game, ironically enough, without Kayshawn Butte, the stud receiver. But I think Alabama wins this one big. And I think any hope that that Alabama or LSU rather was going to have this kind of play for Coach O type of run to end the season. I think that's kind of faded. And let's not forget, Nick Saban might have a little something extra for Ed Ogeron on his way out. Might want to maybe send a little bit of a message after the way that Ed Ogeron talked about Alabama after the 2019 game. So it would not surprise me if Alabama kept its foot on the gas in this one. Coach O, enjoy retirement, courtesy of Coach Nick Saban. A much smaller spread here, Connor. Texas A&M at home in College Station this weekend, hosting Auburn in a battle for positioning in the SEC West. The Aggies only laying four and a half. Your quick thoughts on this matchup on Saturday. Great matchup, and both of these teams are playing so well. I think A&M's got a little bit of a higher upside than Auburn, although Auburn has turned into a complete team before our eyes. I think AM, the difference with them right now is they have finally found their offensive identity. Zach Calzada playing much better. That's going to be a tough atmosphere to Bo Nick, for Bo Nix to go into, though I keep doubting him in these road games, and he keeps proving me wrong. So I would probably take Auburn to cover, 
But AM to win mm-hmm. that game outright, I think this is just a great battle of teams that look worlds different than they did a month ago. Should be a good competitive top 15 game in the SEC West that could ultimately decide a New Year's Six Bowl berth. Absolutely so. The first college football playoff rankings of the year released tonight. How Connor O'Gara sees those playing out. That's next on the other side of the break. Stay with us here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Right here on the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM Channel 204, I'm your host, Ben Stevens. For our second straight segment on this hugely impactful College Football Tuesday, we are joined by Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. I say it is hugely impactful, not just because Maction gets underway tonight, but the first release of the college football rankings of this 2021 season come out tonight. So here is what we are going to do. We are going to put Connor's college football acumen to the test. He is not going to give you his top six as he sees it from his own perspective. He is going to give you the top six in the country as he believes the CFP selection committee will release these teams in order tonight. So Connor O'Gara, the floor is yours. How do you see the top six being released tonight in the first CFP rankings? So that's the very key caveat. It's very different to say what I think they should be and what I think they actually will be. Now, Georgia at number one is the most, uh, I mean, it's the most obvious number one we've had in these year rankings. Everything after that feels like it's going to be all over the place, right? Like I think Oklahoma is going to come in at number two, some preseason, some preseason um, confirmation bias definitely factored into that one. I'll get to that in a second. Michigan State at three, Cincinnati at four, Alabama at five as the first one-loss team in there, and then Ohio State at six, somehow ahead of Oregon, despite the fact that in case people forgot, those two football teams played, and they played in Columbus, and they played without Oregon's two best defensive players, but that's beside the point, I guess. So that's the way that I kind of see it playing out, and part of that is based on the way that we've seen the selection committee treat undefeated teams, and the win win-loss total and, and and how much that factors into their decision-making, especially with Power 5 teams. I also think the, the intriguing thing about Cincinnati at number four is the Bearcats are in position to be the highest-ranked group of five team ever in the first playoff rankings, right? Like last year, they come in at number seven. They had all these games canceled because of COVID, so they kind of drifted back a little bit. They weren't really a threat to make the top four. This year, I think they start off at number four, and they basically say, well, we can let this thing play out. The selection committee can say, hey, Alabama, you're still going to have to go and win the ICC championship to make the field. That's still going to be your barrier to entry. And then Cincinnati, you obviously got to win out. But if you do that, you're going to have a chance to make the field. And they don't necessarily have to answer that question. So that's kind of the way that I see that playing out with Michigan State getting the love ahead of Alabama, ahead of Ohio State, because after all, the Spartans are undefeated and they do now have that top 10 win against a solid Michigan team. And no ever group of five team has ever made the college football playoff and now entering our eighth year of using this system to decide a national champion in CFB. I think it's interesting to have Michigan State at number three, but that's 
right now, Ohio State could easily interchange in that spot if they go on to beat the Spartans in a couple of weeks and ultimately win a Big Ten Conference Championship. So that's generally how the committee will release their rankings. They'll start at 25 and work their way down, but the biggest hoopla that we all get excited for and then irrationally angry at is when they reveal the top six. Who would be the four teams in the CFP if the season ended today and the two teams most closely on the outside looking in? So I want to ask you about Cincinnati, Connor, because I've had this conversation a couple times on this program and with friends throughout college football that does Cincinnati control their own destiny? If Cincinnati is an unbeaten champion of the AAC and goes out and stays perfect throughout this regular season, will they be a part of the college football playoff? So I ask you, Connor, do you think the Bearcats control their own destiny on their path to the college football playoff? Yes, and they better. Because if they don't, let's just eliminate group of five teams. Let's just do it. Because Mm -hmm. they have done everything that the selection committee could have possibly asked. With group of five teams, it is a two-year process. It is not a one-year deal. That is why UCF did not get the benefit of the doubt in 2017. That's why in 2018, we were still like, ah, you know what? You You don't have that quality power five win that we're looking for. Cincinnati went to Notre Dame and won by double digits. Don't tell anybody this, but Cincinnati has a far superior win than anything on Ohio State's schedule, far superior than anything on Oklahoma's schedule as well. Cincinnati went on the road to South Bend, controlled the vast majority of that game, and won that game by double digits. And Notre Dame still only has one loss, and we're in November. What more do you want Cincinnati to do? They played two Power 5 teams, both of whom started in the preseason AP Top 25. They beat both of them by double digits. Are we going to not give them credit because they play in the AAC? Are we pretending like they play in the MEAC? Because if so, that's absurd. We're pretending like that Cincinnati just doesn't have that quality win. And I saw the Heather Dinich tweet out there. If they made the field, they'd have the worst strength of schedule ever. Says who? Says who? Go beat quality teams. Go prove that you can do that. We have a two-year stretch. And if they want, if they run the table, we're going to have a two-year stretch in which Cincinnati's only loss is going to be a down-to-the-wire game against Georgia on a neutral site. A Georgia team that we would have said, hey, if they could have gotten into the playoff, they would have been really intriguing with JT Daniels. And they took them down to the wire. So to me, I look at Cincinnati, I say they absolutely have to start off at number four. I think that there are teams that are going to get the benefit of the doubt ahead of them. And it's going to be absurd, even though Oklahoma only has one win against a winning Power 5 team right now, which is the same as Cincinnati as well. But Cincinnati has the better win. Arguably the number two or number three overall win in the country Maybe AM beating Alabama is better. Maybe Oregon going on the road beating Ohio State is better than that as well. But I think Cincinnati deserves the benefit of the doubt. I would completely rank the top three best wins in college football in the same exact way. You can make an argument for what is better, but the group of three as the best wins in college football this year, Cincinnati on the road beating Notre Dame, Oregon on the road as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite, beating Ohio State, a very different team, Ohio State week number two, but you bring up the point, the Ducks didn't have their two best defenders and possibly a top number one overall pick in this upcoming draft in Kayvon Thibodeau, and then of course A&M knocking off Alabama at home as a huge underdog as well. Those would be the three best, best wins in college football, in my opinion, on any resume to this point of the season. Connor, there is a market on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now that I absolutely adore. We discussed it last week before Georgia's game in the cocktail party against Florida, where there was even more plus money on the Georgia Bulldogs, who now on FanDuel are a minus money odds-on favorite to win the national championship. The first time all year long 
we have seen a team be in the minus money category. They're minus 110 to win the Natty and to go undefeated to win the Natty. There is a yes market out there with plus money. The yes being plus 180. The no still having the juice at minus 240. How realistic do you think it is for Georgia to cash that plus money ticket as an undefeated national champion? I think it's absolutely realistic. And I've been saying this for for the last couple months now that Georgia is in the midst of a, a very special year and it's going to be magnified and the 1980 jokes are going to continue to surface. And because Kirby Smart is yet to beat Nick Saban, that's going to follow Georgia no matter what. But if you're talking about a team that has that special it factor, that unstoppable force, Georgia has it. And we've seen that play out in the last couple of years in college football. And Clemson's defense in 2018, I thought was it, 2019 LSU's offense, of course. And last year, the 2020 Alabama offense. We have seen these groups that have taken over games and done things that we didn't think was possible. And I'd argue all three of those teams were historically good. Now, Georgia is going to, of course, have that big that big question mark game against Alabama. They're getting through the regular season undefeated, and they're getting to Atlanta as an undefeated team for the very first time in program history. Right. But it's all about Alabama. To me, I'm not worried about whatever semifinal matchup they could run into if they were to face an Oklahoma, a Cincinnati in the semifinal. Give me Georgia to run, run all over either of those two teams. But it's about getting through Alabama, and I would like their chances of still winning that matchup on a neutral site being able to control the tempo and being able to get stops continuously against a very good Alabama offense, although it is the ultimate strength-on-strength matchup in college football this year that we're all kind of bracing for. Let's look at the four remaining regular season games for Georgia. Missouri this weekend at home, where Georgia is a 37-and-a-half-point favorite. Then on the road at Tennessee, where they will be at least a double-digit favorite, probably three scores, something like 17-and-a-half, maybe even 21-and-a-half. Then Charleston Southern, and then a game at Georgia Tech to end out the year. Georgia is going to be a heavy, heavy favorite in every one of those games. So, Connor, what makes this market so fascinating to me is you are taking a plus-money ticket, in my opinion, of plus 180. It was plus 250 last week, now plus 180, into a money-line matchup pretty much against Alabama in the SEC championship game if the Tide are able to get there. And when we had the most recent updated CFP odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook, Bama had the second best odds to make the college football playoff at minus 200, which was a clear indication to me that Alabama would then be favored to win the SEC championship game. I'm not so sure I see that, but I think the market is still saying the same thing with UGA at plus 180 to be an undefeated national champion. But are, are they also saying that they think that Bama could be a two-loss team and get into the college football playoff? Because I'm not Probably necessarily not. one of those people. Yeah. Like, right. I, that's, that's the tough thing for me, is that I don't necessarily think Bama is in position to be a two-loss team to be able to, to get there. And I, I think losing to Georgia. Now, if they lose to Georgia on like a last-second play or something like that, and there's still more chaos uh, atop the college football, you know, top five, top ten, something like that, maybe we can have that conversation. But – Remember, we've still yet to see a two-loss team make the college football playoff and losing in the conference championship and being a two-loss team, even though it is Alabama, I would still have questions about that. So if that's being factored into Alabama's odds to get to the national championship, I would push back on that a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely so. And that's my case as well. To be minus 200 to make the CFP in the most recent updated standings, I think that would mean Alabama wins the SEC championship game. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South breaking it down for us on a huge Tuesday in the college football landscape. Connor, as always, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And his CFP rankings, how closely will they look to the first CFP rankings of the year released tonight? On the other side of the break, Bill Krakenberger joins us from Las Vegas, one of the sharpest minds in the industry. That's next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM Channel 204, all across the SportsGrid network. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. Awaiting to join us in just a moment, live from Las Vegas, it is Bill Krakenberger from the Crack Winds, one of the smartest minds in all of the industry to look at the NFL after week eight, approaching week number nine, nearing the midway point of this new 18-week NFL regular season where each NFL organization plays 32 games. I believe Bill Krakenberger is ready to join us here. So, Crack, welcome to the show on this Tuesday morning. You sent me a list of games you wanted to talk about from this past Sunday that I think show some trends and show some ideas of how to bet things moving forward. Let's focus on two of the biggest favorites last week. The Buffalo Bills were laying 14 points against the Miami Dolphins. The Los Angeles Rams were laying 14 and a half to open against the Houston Texans. It got steamed up to 16 and a half. And depending on where you got that number, the Texans could have slid in the back door. But what do those big favorites show you about this past Sunday and moving forward in the NFL? Well, good morning, Ben. Uh, you know, it, it just, uh, this particular week was a, just a great week for an example of how hard it is to beat this NFL game of ours. And I, I just want to, you know, I see so many people at close to game time. Listen, that's when everyone bets. I understand. J just look at the windows when you go to a sports book, whether it's in New Jersey or Las Vegas, and you can see the lines at the last second the last minutes of the games are giant, giant line. And right before the games tip off, there's 100 people online in some of the sports books. I look at um, here at Caesars Palace, I've seen literally 100 people online right before the game. And that means they're, they're, they're laying the worst of the line with these marquee teams like the Rams and the Bills. And therefore, they're going to get penalized because they're going to have to pay that extra money on uh, the juice on these games. And like you said, these games opened up where literally if you bet them on Sunday, you had, bet both favorites or either one of the favorites, you're, you, you would have lost your money. But yet if you bet them anywhere before that, you would have pushed or probably got a win. And my point of that, when I, when I text you, I said, you know, it's amazing how many people wait to the last minute to make their bets. Therefore, uh, it's just, it's, it's public. The public is very, very fickle though. They, they, they want to wait till the last minute. They're nervous They're but however, by waiting at the last minute, they're actually betting a team when 
they got the worst of the line, and I just think that it's at the climax of a line is the worst thing you can do is bet a game just because, oh, I got to bet a game, I got to bet a game. And then you're betting uh, against, you know, uh, uh, what you really should do. I mean, honestly, the right thing probably is to take those extra half points and full points and, and take those dogs. But they're ugly. Who wants to bet Houston or uh, one of these ugly teams? Uh, they want, we want to bet Buffalo. We want to bet the Rams. And, and, and look, look at the back door there. They, they both um, lost versus the spread literally with anyone that, that bet on Sunday. And my whole point of that was saying that you just don't want to make a bet when you're not betting the best line. But I'll even go further than that, when you're betting the worst of the line. And that's what many people do. They don't respect the number. They don't respect the line. And sure enough, this week, exactly what can happen will happen. And you, you literally... By not respecting that number, you, you, you lose. Real simple, you lose. And I can name some other games, too. I don't know what you want to get into, but I just wanted to talk about people that just love betting. And, and look, at, look at, here, here we are. It's, it's Tuesday morning. You can just write all the openers down, and you can, any free line service will show you, and you'll know by the end of the week which, where these lines went. Chasing steam is terrible, especially in the NFL. Terrible. It's a public thing to do. It's a popular thing to do. Everyone, oh, I want to be on the wise guy side. Well, you're not on the wise guy side. You lost. We won. Not that I won these two games. I'm just giving them for example. Absolutely so. Crack, when you think about the line movement early in the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe even Thursday for a Sunday game, that's the wise guys making moves in the marketplace. When you see things move late Sunday, that's all the public money. And to reference that Houston Texans game, I mean, if you're a public better, you're like, oh, shucks, the back door hit. How could the Rams, who were up 38-0, allow 22 points in the fourth quarter unanswered to the Texans of all teams? What a bad backdoor beat that was. Really, the bet itself wasn't great because you missed the number that was 14 and a half and had two more points of favor in the Rams side of things. So I completely agree with the thought process. It's also huge to point out to the casual sports better that if you want to make the sharpest bet, it needs to come early in the week, especially for something that is as hard to beat as NFL sides. And crack, we see line movement all the time. You could look at the Colts and Titans game last week. We saw two line flips past the number of zero in that game alone. The Colts opened up as a short favorite at home. Then it was the Titans who were favored. Then by the time we got to kick, it was the Colts like minus three and a half, minus four as a home favorite against the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. And the Titans won straight up in overtime. So what do you make of all the line movement that we might see on a weekly basis? And what's the best policy for casual sports bettors moving forward? Yeah, it doesn't mean that the sharp guys always get the money. And absolutely, uh, this game is a perfect example. Indianapolis literally moved uh, four, four and a half points, five points here, uh, as they were actually a one-point uh, underdog at, at one time here. And it literally moved to a four-point favorite. And we, they don't always get the money. And I'm not saying that. And and uh, there was another game, too, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota also moved the same thing. Minnesota versus Dallas, which was a marquee game on Sunday night. That game also moved four points because of a rumor that Dash, Dak Prescott was not going to play. You know, it's funny. The Sharp guys had this right before almost anyone. They moved it slowly, slowly, and then bang, it came out. But it didn't come out until literally – a couple hours before the game, the announcement that 
that, that Dak wasn't playing. So here you have two different games that both moved four or five points each and both lost. They're two losers. Uh, the public did not get the money. The squares and the sharps alike lost money on these two games. So um, it doesn't always work where you get the best of the line and, and, and you, you know, it equals a W. I mean, like, I, you know, people don't realize this, too. You know, I had someone, someone in my building, trust fund kid, he, he, he thinks that he's better than everyone picking games. And, you know, he, he, tells, uh, he, he tells me that, um, well, six and four, I can go six and four every week. That's easy. Yeah, okay. So, I, I mean, it, it's funny how these kids that, that, that are growing up watching ESPN and growing up watching all these um, you know, sports programs think that, you know, six and four. Six and four will make me a million dollars a year. But these guys just think, oh, six and four. It's, a, it's so easy. That, that's easy to do. I want to do better than that. I want to go, you know, 75, 80%. They don't realize it. So these particular games like this, you know, I don't even like giving, giving out games to people that live in my building or anything because any one game it can lose just like these two games. These were you, – you could have been on the sharp side of the games, getting these games, both pick them, and, and, and literally not getting the money. Yeah, crack. I remember this point last week or Wednesday morning, the Cowboys were a two and a half point favorite when all indications that after the bye week, Dak Prescott would be ready to go. And even if you grab the Vikings there hearing the rumblings about Dak's calf, it wouldn't have made a difference because the Vikings wouldn't have even covered a two and a half point spread as a home dog. So I completely agree. And to that guy in your building, if he were to go six and four every week, Maybe, but just six and four one time in a blue moon and then going three and seven against the NFL sides, probably not the best. Crack, another game that was so fascinating this weekend, the Detroit Lions were getting three and a half points at home. A Lions team that entered the weekend winless at 0-7, but were four and three against the spread. So people looked at them as a trendy underdog, maybe even able to pick up their first win outright of the season. Instead, they get blown out by the Eagles at home 40 four to six what was your main takeaway from that game between the lions and eagles i know i know a syndicate that that bet six figures on this game and uh and it wasn't just a hundred thousand there was a couple hundred thousand on, on the lions plus three and a half the game didn't even move it didn't move when after they bet it however at game time you couldn't find a three and a half, three and a half anywhere in the world the line went to three everywhere just think about football in the nfl look how hard it is to beat this game I can't figure out this Detroit Lion team. The week before, they literally had the Rams number and stayed with the Rams the whole game in L.A. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks earlier, they took Minnesota Vikings to the finish line, 19-17 to that game was in Minnesota. Before that, yeah, it, it took the longest kick in NFL history, a 66-yard kick to beat them with the, versus the Ravens. I mean, here you're, they're, they're playing so good versus Ravens, the, uh, the Minnesota and the Rams. Think, think about it. It's pretty good teams, those three teams. So now is a perfect opportunity. It's a setup. Plus three and a half at home versus the so-so Eagles. This was a perfect opportunity for Detroit, yet they had their worst loss of the season and maybe one of the worst losses they've ever had in career franchise. Um, you just don't know with this NFL. And I know it's like a broken record. Any given Sunday, anything can and will happen. This is a perfect example. I almost came off the bench here and and went for that three and a half myself. Um, I I didn't, but that would have been the game. I've only bet one good NFL side this year. That would have been my second one. 
Uh, I just, I just didn't. It's just so hard to beat the NFL going into week, especially this is the middle of the season now. This ain't the, the, the first week or two, or this ain't, you know, the playoffs where, you know, everyone's playing for real heart to heart and soul and guts out there on the field. And, um, you know, there's not the blood on the line there is during the playoffs and, and, and uh, going into the Super Bowl. I, I just try to stress every day, no matter how many shows I'm on, social media platforms, the NFL is so hard to beat, guys. I stick to the uh, props. I stick to the um, first half totals. Uh, I stick to the NFL totals. Sides, I mean, look, look, look what happened this past week. God, look at all those games that came down. Look, look at those backdoor covers. Look at the Houston game, uh, the Buffalo game, too. These are just a couple of the games. The Jets game, I mean, the Jets went from literally the Bengals, I should say the Bengals, the Bengals went from three and a half they opened the previous Sunday night. Then the quarterback announcement came out for the for the Jets. The game closed 11 and a half. There wasn't a single 11. 11 and a half and 12s all over the screen on Sunday. Biggest upset of the year. Biggest moneymaker for sports books of the year. You know, I was walking downtown the other night with my wife um, for Halloween night. Derek Stevens grabbed me, the owner of the Circa, and he said, Crack, you, you, I thought about you when the Cincinnati lost today, you know. We, a couple weeks in a row here, we did not get the money. We were actually, like, going crazy. But this week, we have destroyed it. And I talked to everybody. And the Bengals was the big money game. You know, people, I talked about it on this program, too. People love betting those money line favorites with these big double-digit fa- you know, favorites. Just bet the money line. Don't, don't lay the points. Money line's easier. Well, uh, this game was a proven fact that uh, it, it, was, it was due to happen this year. Knocked out a lot of people out of our survivor contest here in town a giant yeah. six million dollar prize but um anyway these things happen nfl not for long week number nine coming up crack it only gets that much more difficult bill krakenberger one of the sharpest minds in the entire industry joining us on the morning after and lending that knowledge and expertise crack as always thank you so much for your time this was a really good show really good episode here all right guys take I'll- care Thank you so much, Crack. A ton of information that you need to soak up to become a better sports better. On the other side of the break, we haven't discussed Maction yet. What's wrong with me? I give you a best bet for the Maction. That's coming up next here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Rounding out this Tuesday edition of the Morning After right here on SportsGrid and Sirius XM Channel 204, I'm your host, Ben Stevens. A huge Tuesday in the college football landscape. The first college football playoff rankings of the year released tonight. We get the rankings from the selection committee for the first time, and then what do we do? We sit down on the couch, transition into some action. So before we say farewell on this Tuesday, before we say goodbye, it is time for our best bets for some action football. It is time for bye bye bye.
All right, there are three great games of Maction this evening. I'm going to focus on a battle in the state of Ohio. Miami of Ohio visiting the Ohio Bobcats this evening. Miami laying seven and a half against the Bobcats in Ohio tonight. So here is what we have from this game perspective. The over-under total for the game when I checked last night, 52 and a hook. It's been steamed up by two points to 54 and a half. It scared me off and under for the game overall. So where we go, a team total under for the Ohio Bobcats, an under of 22 and a half. When you look at both of these teams, bottom four in scoring offense in the entire conference. In fact, Ohio is the second worst scoring offense in the MAC, only averaging 21 points per game. Ohio is also playing a ton of unders this year. Five straight unders, in fact, for Ohio, including all four unders in all four Maction games for the Ohio Bobcats so far this year. By the way, Miami of Ohio, the second best scoring defense in the MAC as things stand in the conference right now. Maction gets weird. Could Ohio easily score 35 tonight on a Tuesday evening? Certainly so. But the best bet going under 22 and a half for Ohio's team win total. It's Maction tonight on a huge Tuesday in the college football landscape this is the morning after it happens every weekday right here on the grid 9 a.m to noon eastern i'm ben stevens we'll talk to you guys tomorrow morning are you one of us we've just got one question do you like we